Condon. All right, Miller and Condon, 11 o'clock hour. Kim Reynolds starting her press conference right now. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa. And union for a total of 81 counties. We have 862 negative cases today for a total of 14,565 negative. The state hygienic lab has 1,974 tests available. As of last evening, we have 119 hospitalized, 506 recovered for a recovery rate of 36%. And I'm very sad to report um, that we have had an additional two deaths, one older and one elderly adult, both in Lynn County, for a total of 31 deaths. Over the course of the last month, we have implemented significant mitigation strategies aimed at slowing the spread of COVID-19 across our state, including closing businesses and schools. And while these steps are necessary at this critical time, it's important not to overlook the unintended consequences that they have on Iowa families. More than 354,000 Iowans are already facing food insecurity, and now these families and others may be dealing with the recent loss of jobs, children out of school, school and trouble making ends meet. Iowa's six Feeding America food banks and their 1,200 community partners across the state provided 38 million meals to Iowans in need last year. And while COVID-19 pandemic is unlike anything we've ever experienced, they remained committed to feeding even more Iowa families during these challenging times. In March alone, Iowa food pantries helped 65% more Iowans with applications for food assistance than this time last year. But as the number of food insecure Iowans increases, so does demand on our food banks and pantries. With restaurants open for carryout and delivery, food donations are down, and less food is being rescued from grocery stores to stock food pantries. To help meet this challenge, I have created the Feeding Iowans Task Force, and I have asked the Lieutenant Governor, Lieutenant Governor Gregg, to lead this effort. Effort. He will be joined with individuals from the Iowa Food Bank, members of my team, and representatives from the Department of Agriculture, Homeland Security Emergency Management, the Department of Public Health, Department of Human Services, Department of Ed, Department of Aging, and of course, Volunteer Iowa. I've charged the task force with raising awareness of hunger-related issues, identifying potential gaps in the system, connecting resources to ensure that Iowans have food on their tables, and making sure that Iowans know where to go to get help. If you're in immediate need of food, please go to your nearest food bank or food pantry or go to coronavirus.iowa.gov for food assistance information where you'll find links to programs from the Department of Human Services, Department of Public Health, Education, Aging, and other state agencies. Thanks to funding through the CARES Act, food banks and most state programs will receive additional resources that will allow more flexibility in delivering services and expanding eligibility. Everyday Iowans can also lend a hand. Food banks, pantries, emergency meal sites, and shelters need volunteers. Nearly 40% of the volunteer force that keeps food banks operating is made up of older adults who are, of course, at most risk and need to stay home, and they're doing as they should to protect their health. Volunteer Iowa has launched COVID-19 
volunteer portal that includes more than 75 posting, postings of high-need volunteer opportunities across Iowa. So if you're healthy, low-risk, and do not live with anyone who is ill or at high risk, please consider volunteering to assist the meal packing and distribution at your local food bank or pantry. And again, you can find more information about that at coronavirus.iowa.gov. Finally, I want to take just a moment to thank the organizations and businesses who have stepped up to contribute generously to this important cause. Iowa is a state that feeds the world, so it's no wonder that Iowans answered the call to feed their own when the need arises. Thank you to the following for their donations to food banks and meal programs across the state of Iowa. Iowa pork producers have donated 12,000 pounds of pork. Iowa Beef Council, 5,500 beef sticks. AE Dairy is donating milk for distribution through our Des Moines Public Schools. Tyson's Foods, Tyson Foods has donated 200,000 pounds of products, equaling 8 million meals. Iowa egg farmers continue their commitment to providing 35,000 dozen eggs each month. Smithville Foods, 27,000 thousand pounds of pork processed and packaged by Midwest Premier. Lynch Livestock Companies have donated 30,000 pounds of pork and the Lynch Family Foundation and Premium Iowa Pork will be donating 250,000 pounds of pork over the next six months. I also want to thank Corteva Agra Science for the 100,000 matching donation to assist food banks of Iowa, the Iowa Farm Bureau Foundation for their 100,000 donation to the Iowa Food Bank Association, and MidAmerica Energy, whose foundation has contributed or donated 500,000 to support Iowa food insecurity relief at this time. You are making a difference in the lives of Iowans at a time when it is much needed, and I just want to say again thank you for your generous support. As we end the week, I wanted to provide another look at the data for RMCC Regions 1, 5, and 6, where COVID-19 has had the most impact in our state. At the RMCC region, which includes Des Moines, the Des Moines metro area, they had 30 COVID patients hospitalized yesterday. One new patient was admitted in the last 24 hours. Eight were in ICUs, and six were on ventilators. Other resources available for patient care included 1,338 inpatient beds. We have available in that region 157 ICU beds and 218 ventilators. In Region 5, where Johnson County and Scott County is located, there were 39 COVID-19 patients hospitalized yesterday. 12 new patients were admitted in the last 24 hours. 14 were in ICUs and 6 were on ventilators. There were 675 inpatient beds available, 79 ICU beds, and 156 ventilators. In Region 6, which includes Lynn County, and yesterday they were, there were 49 COVID-19 patients hospitalized. Three new patients were admitted in the last 24 hours, 27 were in ICU, and 16 were on ventilators. They have the availability for 1,170 inpatient beds, 78 ICU beds, and 127 ventilators available for patient care. 
When our hospital capacity and re while our hospital capacity and resources look good, one issue that continues to be a challenge in Iowa and across the country is a shortage of PPE. The Department of Public Health has issued guidance on PPE usage over the last several weeks, and today they are taking additional steps to preserve PPE supply during this time. And I have asked Sarah Reister to provide more information about that. Sarah. Uh, thank you, Governor Reynolds. I want to talk this morning about an order our medical director is issuing effective today related to current and anticipated shortages of personal protective equipment, or PPE. First, I want to thank the many Iowans who have donated PPE and our incredible manufacturers who are ramping up production as the global community uses more PPE than ever before to protect healthcare workers and patients. Unfortunately, we're in a position where, like many states and countries across the globe, we are preparing for a time when we might not have enough of these supplies. On April 2nd, as the governor mentioned, our department issued guidance for face mask and respirator extended use or reuse in times of crisis. Today, we are taking the additional step of issuing a PPE shortage order. The order requires all providers to work with our department to further assess, monitor, and extend the use of the supply of PPE in our state and is based on guidance that has been provided by the CDC. The order applies to health care providers, hospitals, health care facilities, clinics, local public health agencies, medical and response organizations, and any others that use PPE for the treatment of patients or residents of facilities. The order requires these entities to decrease demand for PPE by minimizing patient contacts with possible and when possible, excuse me, and maximizing the way barriers and ventilation systems are used. Complying with a ban on non-essential medical and dental services, this was ordered by Governor Reynolds last month and is included in this order by way of reminder. It requires canceling all other elective and non-urgent procedures and appointments, reserving PPE for health care provision, and having patients cover their mouth and nose with a barrier other than a surgical face mask, and finally using telemedicine whenever possible. The second part of the directive is focused on extending the use of PPE when the demand for PPE exceeds supply. If facilities are using all of the measures I just mentioned and the PPE demand is still exceeding available supply, the order directs them to use face masks that may be beyond their shelf life or expiration date, not change face masks or respirators for each patient encounter, use washable gowns, use reusable eye protection, decrease the length of stay for COVID-19 patients if they're medically stable, and the third step in the order, if PPE use continues to outpace supply, is to implement crisis capacity standards. And this would include reusing PPE and provides guidance for removal and reuse, using PPE past its shelf life, prioritizing face masks for essential activities that may involve direct infectious contacts, and considering alternative approaches, such as using homemade masks in combination with face shields. 
This PPE shortage order also provides immunity protection for providers who need to implement these strategies related to this unprecedented response while they continue to provide medical care and assistance and while they're acting in good faith. We understand the issuance of this order may be unsettling, but due to the global shortage of PPE supply, we've determined that now is the time to take this action. I again want to thank our healthcare workforce and other providers who are on the front lines delivering healthcare services in facilities, as well as in Iowans' homes, as well as thank PPE manufacturers and the many Iowans who are dedicating their time to making homemade masks and face shields for the time when, that, when use of those might become necessary. And finally, one other reason for issuing the PPE shortage order is to increase awareness across the state as different parts of our state are experiencing different challenges and as we all continue to work together to maximize resources so we can continue to take care of all Iowans. Please visit the IDPH webpage for more details, including guidance for making homemade masks and using face coverings when in public. Thank you, Governor. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. So when we started this week, you know, I told Iowans that it could be a difficult one, and it has been, as we've watched our numbers of positive cases and deaths continue to increase. But we have also had some reassuring signs as well. We are seeing, seeing our recovery rate increase and our curve begin to flatten, and which are early indicators that we are doing the right things. But our work is not yet done. As I have now, for more than a month, I am asking Iowans to continue to do your part to slow the spread of the virus. Your efforts, they are making a difference, so please continue to stay home if you can, leave only for essential errands, practice social distancing, we know it works, don't gather in groups of more than 10, and if you have a member of your family that is sick or you are sick, isolate, isolate at home. And if we continue to take these simple steps seriously, we will get through this sooner rather than later. And with that, uh, we'll open it up for questions. Governor, I don't know if you could answer maybe Sarah. Already, so many healthcare workers have come down with this uh, virus, and now the threat could be that they have to reuse gear that maybe won't protect them as well as that. That's got to be a concern, I would imagine, for them and for you trying to help them. Yeah, and you can talk about the percentages in just a second. I know about 20% of health care, but that's similar to other uh, household percentages. So that's similar when you're in confined efforts like that. But, you know, it has been a concern all along. Uh, and that's why we have implemented the mitigation efforts that we have, not only protect older Iowans and to bend and slow the spread and flatten the curve to prevent from, you know, to prevent overwhelming our health care system, but most importantly, too, to protect, you know, our health care workers, our first responders, those individuals that are on the front lines. And so, you know, we want to, we're continuing to do everything we can to make sure that we can provide them the PPE that they need. But in the event that they can't, this is some of the steps that we have to step through. Do you have anything to add to that, Sarah? I think, the, I think the only thing I would add is that is why the mitigation efforts that we've been consistently recommending all along continue to be so important. Um, to stay home when you can, to social distance when you are out, um, because we are concerned about our health care providers. They're on the front lines. They're doing this every day. We are doing everything we can as a state to procure additional PPE so that we can continue to send those supplies out to people. We understand that 
people are scared. And so we continue to do everything we can to find supply wherever we can. We will continue to distribute that to the areas of highest need. Um, but we really felt like um, it, now is the time to issue this shortage order. We, we think that people, we know that facilities are already doing some of the extended use um, guidelines because there has been a shortage. And so uh, th this was um, important for us to take this additional step today. Are you finding it more difficult at this point to get in new supplies of PPE, especially now that the national stockpile is down to nothing? I, you know, we've seen it all along. We've, we were receiving some orders, but as we continue to see those pushed back, you know, we've had to reach within the state to see what else we could do to help to help to provide um, our health care workers and those first responders the PPE that they need. Um, just for example, I mean, so like the Department of Corrections, I've talked about that a lot, but, you know, to date they've made 2,800 gowns and they are doubling their production rate and they'll be able to go to 1,000 a day. And this is critical for our long-term care providers because they provide the protection but they're washable. We have more and more businesses every day that are being able to provide the face shields. And when we can have a face shield, I should, if I'm saying anything that I shouldn't, you step right in. When they have the face shield, then the, the homemade mask, then we can start to use some of them and they are washable. And then there's businesses uh, in other states where they actually can take the used um, and 95 mask and clean them and bring them back too. So there's things that, Kathy, that we're looking at all the time to continue to address what we know is not only an Iowa shortage but a national shortage. And while we are so impressed with how people have stepped up to help and businesses and individuals, it is just a constant, uh, you know, constant effort. And we have, you know, hospitals are ordering through uh, their distribu distributors, so they're ordering independently. DAS is ordering. Homeland Security is ordering. Or Local public health officials are gathering information and putting the orders in. So we continue to say over and over, it's a, you know, it's an all of the above approach. So we're looking at every available opportunity to bring PPE into the state. Do you have anything to add to that? Okay. You mentioned um, unintended consequences of social distancing, and you've also said you're concerned about Iowans' mental health. Yeah. Is there any way to measure whether uh, Iowans are having uh, issues more than they were before? Yeah. Uh, what can be done about that? And, and finally, looking forward, if the legislature is unable to come back and, and approve more money for mental health, what's your... What's your fallback plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we, we know that. I'm going to actually, we're going to have uh, Director Garcia come next week, and we're going to provide a little bit more information on this. I haven't had a chance to read through all of it. Iowa State just did a white paper that actually addresses some of the concerns that isolation and the COVID-19 pandemic is ha pandemic is having on Iowans. Uh, just to talk about some of the numbers, whether it's just the mental well-being of Iowans, the isolation, um, the uh, domestic abuse is something that we're watching very closely uh, the well-being of children that just they don't have the eyes on them like they typically do when they're in school and so you know we're trying to figure out ways that we can address that but that you know that is that is something we have to balance too through all of this and figure out how we can meet those needs as well so we're gonna um, next week we'll have some more data and more resources and talk about how we are proactively uh, doing the best job that we can to address those 
those extremely, extremely uh, critical issues as well. Uh, there's a commitment from this legislature to make sure that we have the funding there. Uh, they have unanimously supported uh, mental adult mental health reform, unanimously almost supported the children's mental health reform, and we know that we have an obligation to be able to fund the services that we've put together. So uh, when I talked to both parties before we suspended the legislature, there was a commitment uh, to make sure that we got something done there. And so we'll have to do it in a responsible manner, but there is the commitment there, I believe, um, to follow through and make sure that we can provide the funding um, for the resources. Because to your point, there potentially could be you know, an, an uptick there and maybe some of the block grounding and funding that they've, I would hope, and I assume that it does, and then through the, um, the disaster um, declaration, we've also asked for some funding through that too when we get the uh, individual assistance. And so again, it's we're looking at every possible opportunity to be ready and to address some of those uh, very critical issues as well. Governor, do you have the ratings yet for the regions? Have those been updated at all? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's been a change um, since yesterday. Um, right. So we still have um, Region 5 is at a 9, Region 6 is at an 8, Region 2 is at a 7, Region 1 is at an 8, Region 3 is at a 6, and Region 4 is at a 6. And yesterday when you were talking about, you know, we're seeing maybe a little bit of a flattening, we got a lot of emails and calls about, well, what did they base that optimism on, considering we're still getting an uptick in all of the, you know, emissions and, and deaths and numbers? So is there a way to describe that and how that you'll come up with that? Yeah, so, um, so an curve helps, helps us examine case data by time, which is part of the way we organize epidemiological information in addition to information about the person, age, gender, and place uh, that, the, that the infection occurred. It gives us insight into things like the time trend of the outbreak, which is the distribution of cases over time, outliers or cases that stand apart from the overall pattern, a general sense of the outbreak's magnitude, and inferences about the outbreak's pattern of spread, the most likely time of exposure. And so what we have been looking at is we've been looking at onset of symptoms data. So while you know, the, the positive case results, and we have said all along that we anticipated last week was going to be a difficult week in terms of cases. Again, at the beginning of this week, we said we were going, we fully expected to see our case numbers start to climb. But when we look at our onset of symptoms data, um, that appears to be flattening. And that's, that's really the whole goal of public health mitigation efforts, is to see a flattening so that we have, you know, kind of a flat plateau of illness and infection and the ideal goal would be to avoid ever really seeing a peak and a spike in cases. And so that's what I was referencing as we're looking at the epi curve related to onset of symptoms. And that curve appears to be looking fairly flat at this particular point in time, which is why it is so important for the public to continue to do all of the things that they have been doing. And we know it's hard. And we know we're asking a lot. But we need people to continue to stay at home, leave only for essentials. If you're mildly ill, stay home. Call ahead to your doctor's office 
office first. If we can continue to slow the spread of the infection in our state until we have a vaccine or we have some way um, to make sure that other people aren't going to get it, that we're not going to pass it to each other, all of these public health mitigation efforts that we've asked people to do, they are important and we're seeing the evidence that it's starting to work. And so we would just renew our plea to Iowans to keep doing all of the wonderful things and the hard things that you have been doing um, so that we can protect our loved ones. Thank you. We had a quick request for an update on the uh, COVID cases among the incarcerated population. I don't know if you have any kind of update on that. Yeah. Kathy, I'm not aware of any at this time, but they were very proactive in really putting in place a lot of the same mitigation efforts that our long-term care facilities did because we knew that it would be problematic. I'm also going to have Director Skinner come um, next week and be part of the press conference, not only with the number of PPE supplies that they're making available for our hospitals and long-term care facilities across the state and our state facilities, but she can talk about some of the mitigation efforts that she put in place to really help uh, get in front of that. All right, Ron, with the Sea Rapids Gazette, go ahead. Uh, yes, um, just to clarify, you're saying the curve is flattening, but does today's order mean you expect a surge that's going to create a shortage problem that will tax our healthcare system like other parts of the country have experienced? And if that's the case, how long do you think this PPE shortage will exist in Iowa? Um, today's order isn't a reflection of an increased spike in cases. Today's order is an acknowledgement that PPE supplies are low globally um, as well as in the United States. And so um, the order gives guidance and directives to healthcare providers to the extent that they can't get the PPE that they would normally use to provide the standard of care that they normally provide. And so it, it gives them instructions for what to do in the event that they can't get PPE. You know, PPE is used um, for a whole bunch of medical procedures. It's used all of the time for elective procedures and, you know, lots of patient encounters utilize um, PPE. And so it's not a reflection of an anticipated um, peak or spike or anything like that. It's a reflection of the fact that supplies are low, additional PPE is hard to find, and so it gives healthcare providers instructions about what to do if they can't find the PPE or they can't acquire the PPE that they need. It doesn't mean that the state's gonna slow down our efforts or our um, uh, manufacturing or anything. We're gonna continue to do everything we can to get PPE to our healthcare providers, but it provides them some um, instructions about what to do in the event that they can't get the supplies that they need, as well as some immunity protections when they care for patients if they uh, do get to that point. So there it is, Governor Kim Reynolds, her press conference today, along with assembled pieces of her staff here each and every day with the new 11 o'clock press conference here on Miller & Condon on KXNO. Going to talk some Packers, get back to the world of sports. Also recap our re- restaurant radio from this week coming up on the other side. But right now, KXNO and iHeartRadio wants to help you with your bills. Text the keyword AID to 200-200 right now. Your chance to win $1,000. That's AID to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. We're talking Packers next. Dave Sinekin, the head cheese, will join us, and we will take you up until noon with a restaurant radio recap. Also a little more on Luca Garza. All come your way next. It's Miller and Condon. Badly.
Welcome back. Our final segment of the week here. We'll recap what we've done in restaurant radio before we get out of here. Of course, we do it twice weekly, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We invite restaurants around from Central Iowa to come on and uh, tell us your story and share with our audience what you're doing. More details on that coming up as we recap uh, the restaurants we had uh, earlier this week. But right now, as we mentioned, we're not going to get the Chiefs until next week. We've done the Bears. We've done the Vikings. Let's complete the NFC North as far as the local teams go. Dave Sinekin, the head chief com is where you can read about uh, the Green Bay Packers, Dave Sinekin. Uh, 25, 26 years uh, on KFAN up in the Twin Cities. He is, uh, his weekend show continues on on Saturday mornings. Uh, Dave joins us to take a look at the Packers. Dave Trenton Ken, thanks for coming on, Dave Sinekin. How are you? I'm doing well. You guys hanging in there? Doing our best, yep. Uh, we're doing as we're told, staying at home and social distancing and washing the heck out of my hands. <laughs> yeah, same here. We're playing a lot of poker, my kids and uh, my wife and I, a lot of family time, which is, I guess, a silver lining of this whole deal. Absolutely. Well, Dave, before we get into potentially where the Packers will go, they've got the 30th overall pick uh, in the draft. You know, from where I sit, uh, looking at the NFC North, I think maybe Chicago and Green Bay, the two teams in the North that have been the most active during the free agency period. I mean, Chicago signed more guys. Uh, the Packers, I think, spent as much money, if not more, as Christian Kirksey, another Hawkeye wearing a Packer uniform starting next year. Devin Funches, who I like and injuries have, uh, I think, uh, kind of stunted his NFL uh, growth. But And then uh, Balaga leaves, but Wagner comes in. Uh, your thoughts on the NFC North overall before we get a, di- a deeper dive into the Packers? Yeah, it doesn't feel like anybody's taken any giant strides to pass anybody. I think, if anything, the Vikings have probably taken the biggest step back, potentially, with their exodus of their uh, you know long-term defensive starters have left, I think, seven of them have left that team. And, of course, the Bears, uh, by bringing in Nick Foles to compete for Mitch Trubisky, you know, puts a big question mark on if, if they can get more competent quarterback play uh, with that defense and some nice pieces offensively. Uh, there, there's logic to think Chicago can move back up and compete. Again, it all comes down to the quarterback spot. As far as the Packers go, yeah, I mean, they, they did bargain bin shopping this year. After all the money spent last year, there was uh, no money left to spend big time in free agency. They've got a number of their top players that they have to sign next year, including David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones and Kevin King, Corey Lindsley. So they had to be really frugal with their dollars. And they you know, they brought in Kirksey, who's been banged up the last couple of years, but has been a captain on that Cleveland defense. Wagner had a bad year last year, but the former Badger has, has had a solid career and figures to be kind of a bridge tackle. Green Bay will draft a tackle early, I believe, in a couple of weeks. And Funchess, yeah, I mean, you're intrigued. The Packer fans really want to see a number two, a legit number two uh, option present itself for Rodgers. And whether they have that on the roster or they add that in the draft, uh, that's what we're waiting to watch uh, from that spot. Ten picks overall for the Packers in the NFL draft. The first one at number 30 overall, but a slew of picks, a couple of extra six-rounders and an extra seventh-rounder, along with their normal runs late in the draft. You know, those ones there, when you look at Brian Gutekunst and what he's looking to build, are you confident he's going to have a couple of those flyers that he's going to be able to find a guy or two out of that mix? Well, I think so. I think his first two years have been above average. I wouldn't say they're great, but uh, definitely above average so far. And obviously, you don't know three, four years how a draft really has played out. But yeah, I think he'll move around a lot. I, I would not be surprised if there's an opportunity to move down in this draft, even though they have extra picks. The last time they had 30, 
they moved out of it and uh, into the second round to add another pick. Uh, I think he comes from the Ted Thompson school where, you know, if you're at 30 and there's like six, seven guys you like, you can move back that many spots and, and still feel good about getting the guy you like. So uh, I think that uh, they have all those picks now. wouldn't shock me if he uh, adds a couple and then maybe deals a couple of them to move up somewhere and grab a guy. Uh, I think he's going to move around a lot. But, again, man, the way this draft is being set up, you wonder how easy it's going to be to yeah. make trades. And I almost think they should add time between picks again, knowing that communication is going to be a little different this year. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Dave Sinek in theheadcheese.com is our guest. Dave, I've seen a lot of mocks, and, and I love the mocks. I, I, I do. I, I probably spend too much time on them, but um, you know we're starving for content right now, and the NFL is king, and I'm grateful that the draft goes on. A lot of, uh, most of them have a receiver at, at 30, and as you know, this draft is so deep, so many receivers, some really talented players are going to fall into the second round. Does receiver make Makes sense to you? Do you think that that's what they will address with their uh, first round pick? It makes sense to me for sure. And I'm like you. I, I'm a mock draft junkie. I look at some of the receivers in this class, and uh, I mean, there's 15 of them that I would love to put on Green Bay's team, which leads me to think that they can probably get one with their second pick if they feel like there's a lot of guys left. But I think most Packer fans really want to see a receiver at 30 uh, because, you know, it's just that excitement factor. You watch the tape. You watch uh, some of these guys, like like Brandon Ayuk has been mocked a lot That's to Green guy, Bay Arizona yep. State. And, and you you watch him on film and you just go, oh, my goodness, the returnability and, and the speed, and he's mm-hmm. got everything. And um, So you get excited about that. But, man, if you ask me what's the most likely position that uh, Gutekunst takes with Green Bay's first pick, uh, I'm still going to say tackle mm-hmm. if there is one there that they really like. And a guy like Austin Jackson kind of projects to be – down near the bottom of the first round, and I just know that offensive line is is something that is paramount in, in Green Bay's room, especially as long as you've got an aging quarterback. And I don't know that they've got a tackle on their roster they can reject two, three years down the line. So that, that might be a, a position that's drying up kind of quickly after the first round, and they might want to grab their guy thinking that uh, we like half a dozen receivers, and if we have to move up and get one, we can do it. But as a fan, yeah, I want to see a playmaker – to add to that offense and let Funches and, and Lazard you know, fight for that number three spot. Uh, before we move, before we move on, I, I want to make sure we save time for Brian Belaga, who was uh, such a terrific Green Bay Packer. Drafted what ten years ago, I think he's been in the league nine or ten years. Of course, won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in and out of the lineup with injuries, but boy, when he was in there, that he was he had a hell of a uh, Packer tenure at the right tackle position. How will you remember Brian Belaga? Man, I think back, you know, Fox replayed Super Bowl 45 um, the other day, and I watched it because I was at the game. I don't think I had watched it since, and Bulaga was a rookie that year. And I, I really paid attention, forgetting that, that he was a rookie and, and, and watching, you know, against that Pittsburgh defense, the job he did as a rookie. I think he really showed on a team that that year, you know, was a fringe playoff team, snuck in as a sixth seed and then made their run. Um, he was a huge part of that, and that was just the beginning. And you know, you look back and the injuries to those knees robbed him of so many games, but, you know, he's an all-time favorite Packer for anybody that's followed this team the last 10 years. You love his attitude. You love the way he stood up against, I mean, in this division the last couple of years with Mac and the Viking players, I, I mean, he held his own against the greats. Uh, it's tough when you get to be 30-31 and you command 10 mil a year. Teams have to make tough choices, and they're going to have to pay their left tackle next season and you just can't have two double digit million tackles these days 
along with a quarterback that makes the money Rodgers does. So tough call, but uh, I'll remember Bulaga as, as one of the great all-time Packers and um, fought through injuries, played with pain. Uh, I wish him nothing but the, the best in L.A. where he'll play for his former coach, James Campen, and be real comfortable out there. But we'll miss him. There's no question about it. Um, but that's today's economy in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers will turn 37 years old this year. Now Tom Brady is still playing well into his 40s, but not likely that that's going to happen for every single quarterback. With the roster the way it currently is, when you look at those draft picks, if is there a guy in that next tier after the top-level quarterbacks that you've heard the Packers like, be it a Jacob Eason, a Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, something like that, or they're going to wait even later if they're going to grab a quarterback? I guess I'd still be surprised if this is the year they went quarterback fairly early. The name you hear a lot is James Morgan. He's a Green Bay native, played down in Florida, and uh, you know has the size, the arm, and, of course, hometown kid. So you read a lot about him if you follow the Packers. But um, you know what? <laughs> I did my own little, you know, one of those uh, mock drafts online, and as it fell to me at 30, um, Jordan Love. Jordan Love, there. yeah. <laughs> you know, and if he happens to fall mm-hmm. and he's sitting there at 30, I would not rule out Green Bay taking him. But barring that, uh, I guess I would be surprised if I saw a pick like a Jacob Eason late in the second uh, or third. I, I could be wrong there. They do need to have a contingency plan beyond Tim Boyle uh, and, and some kind of a passing of the guard. But uh, I don't know. I think the chips would really have to fall the right way for that pick to come this year. Dave Sinek in the HeadCheese.com, HeadCheese.com. Dave, thanks for coming on. We will talk to you the week of the draft a couple of times. Appreciate what you do for us. Thank you, Dave. Be well. Yeah, you too. Stay safe, guys. Yeah, good to talk to you. Dave Sinekin, the uh, HeadCheese.com. Well, Trent, our final couple of minutes here of the program on a Friday, we usually devote to taking a look back at uh, some of the folks that came on this week and told us their story, whether a restaurant or a small business, and we certainly had a few of those join the program uh, this week. Let's take the time and do precisely that. Let's look back, shall we? We started with uh, Sarpinos and Clive and and a number of these folks, a number of these restaurants, uh, not only looking after themselves, but uh, but spreading some love around the community. Sarpino's uh, certainly an example of that. They have a program going on with uh, with the kids, not a lot of kids uh, all over the country, not getting their uh, proper meals due to the schools being closed. Sarpino's uh, making a uh, cheese pizza available, I think, from 11 until 2 for, yeah, for yep. kids. It's just, just an amazing, amazing gesture. It's Central Iowa. Why should we be surprised at that? I'm not. Sarpino's and Clive. Join the program. Uh, of course, their uh, takeout hours continuing. Uh, and if you can, uh, Sarpinos and Clive, good to have them on. Yeah, really uh, like that story and loved what uh, Rob and the group are doing over there at Sarpinos. Of course, we talked a little bit with Jethro's and uh, again got Rachel on talking about the locations, the wings, the burgers, everything that they do. And uh, one of my favorite things, my wife loves their waffle fries. But they're oh, not they're so good. But they're not at every location. It well, depends I didn't know on the that. way. Yeah, so, really. And I can't remember offhand which one it is, but she demands that we go to one of them that has the waffle fries. That's her favorite part of that. But Jethro's, I mean, it's an institution. Yeah. I know they're working on the new one on the south side. They're at the old Orlando's, and uh, construction continues there. In fact, I drove by about a week ago and still saw the construction guys out there doing their work. And maybe next time we talk to Jethro's, we'll see. Know, kind of what their target date is for that one. I know a lot of Southsiders excited. Get a Jethro's on their side of town. Absolutely. I know the Lake House in Ankeny has the waffle fries. At least they did the last time I was there. 
just to file away for a later date. Andy Woodley, join us. Sign Rama of Urbandale. Boy, he's done a lot of great stuff for the yeah. community, has he not? He can uh, help you out for these restaurants. And I know there's a lot of people in the restaurant industry that listen uh, during our restaurant radio segments that maybe normally aren't in sports radio. Again, reach out to Andy. He's going to help you out. Get that sign to put in front of your business and put in front of your restaurant. Let people know. Carry out hours, dine in hours, or not dine in hours, but carry out hours, delivery options, things like that. Whatever you want to put on the side, he's doing that and doing it at no cost. Free. Absolutely incredible what he's doing there. Also, if you're looking for those shields, those plexiglass shields, Mm -hmm. they have those also going on right now at Sinorama of Urbandale. Yeah, Sports Page of Ankeny is more than Sports Page of Ankeny in Winterset and Indianola as well. Sports Page Grill in Ankeny, 963-8811, sportspagegrill.com. They joined the program to uh, share the story of what's going on at their three restaurants. And then we learned a little something, (laughs) did we not? Pinocchio Winery. Yeah, over in Adel, they're doing right now, their tasting room, of course, closed, but porch pickup uh, having right now along with carryout. So get some good wine, get some local wine, and when we get back to normalcy, got a date planned with the uh, the special right. lady in my life, uh, and we'll, we'll do a little wine tasting. I'm not a big wine drinker, though. I'm more of a white fan than as opposed to a red. How about oh, you? Oh, completely the opposite. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a Cabernet fan or ah, nothing or nothing. Cabernet nothing. Absolutely. You know what else we found out about Pinocchio that it was in the Kinnick family? Right, yeah. I remember that, that part about it? The barn is over was over 100 years old. Now they use that for, uh, well, they will use that again, folks, and they will for banquets, weddings, etc. Corner Cafe, 100th Street in Urbandale. Grub looks unbelievable. You don't need to order a lot, folks, because they will <laughs> fill you up at the 100th street corner cafe yeah jackie was a lot of fun there smile on her face you could tell when she's talking and i uh, talked to an urbandale person that mentioned love going there for breakfast oh, and really it's just, good it's a very upbeat kind of place 100 street corner cafe and we went to grand junction for the first time we yeah. dipped out there can't find a restaurant in story county but we found one in grand junction 30 yard line bar and grill it's relatively new tracy and the crew over there grand junction the 30 yard line uh cafe our 30 yard line rather it's a sports bar and grill in grand junction haiku des moines folks take a look at that menu it is unbelievable. Um, they, they just you'll be, you'll be glad you did. It's I don't know would you call it Asian food. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, there's sushi as part of the menu. Are you a sushi guy? Ah, uh, yeah, I am. I mean, not all the time, but yes, I from I time like to sushi. time. I'm See, so, that's I'm, one that I that's a hill too high. For is me. it really? Yeah. Oh, you got to get your feet wet. I was kind of the same way, and then I tried, and you know what? What have I been missing? Yeah, uh, and it was really good. Uh, Broheim's golf. What do we do with them? I know that they're, uh, they're gift certificates. That's mm-hmm. all that they can do. Of course, a lot of folks normally would be tuning up their golf game or would have spent the last few weeks tuning it up in preparation for the weather that we've had and will have down the road. Um, they got some carry-out options that are also going on right now out of Burrowheims. But, yeah, good uh, deals going on right now in their gift cards. Make sure to give them a call, see what they have happening there. I think it, what was it? Uh, you buy $100 worth of gift cards and you get... Uh, X number of hours in the simulator at no cost. That's what it was. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, Exile Brewing is a part of it. Uh, RJ's got great beer. He's got he's got great food. He's also got a great idea. The the pay it forward buy a. Buy somebody a beer, a, um, a first responder type of thing, a pay it forward. They've got free beer delivery within a five mile radius. Apparently, they've always had that. I didn't realize that, but I don't live five mile within five miles anyway. Um, so that's probably why I didn't. But boy, oh boy, Exile is such good food, and I'm a fan of Ruthie. And you love their sour. I do, Beatnik sour, and uh, well, it's my birthday weekend, so. 
I'm not sure if I'm going to get to the store, though. The wife uh, had the pickup order for Hy-Vee yesterday. Uh-huh. That wasn't in there, but we've been talking about Exile this well, week. She's and surprising you. I hope so. That would be great. I would love that if she's listening right now. Beat Nick Sauer. Hook me up with Exile. Uh, we went. We did go up to Ames, but a small business in Ames details auto appearance center. They will come and pick up your vehicle. Um, no contact, if you yeah. will. So details auto appearance center. Matt uh, was good enough to join us. And then we went back to the station who was helping out the community before they decided to go full aboard with the carryout menu. And there's a lot of folks that participated in the carryout menu because I saw a lot of meetings, the station grub on Twitter last night. Oh, yes. And uh, TJ, those guys do t- such a great job. They're they're new to this. They're early in their endeavor with the sports bar here on Ingersoll. But, but it's absolutely great to see what they have doing, both the community outreach and the food. Yeah, they do a good job there at the station. No doubt. Dennis Gibson, a former Cyclone, former Lion, former Charger, he's got Uptown Pizza in Ankeny. I've had it. It's terrific. Um, and as they still, they're in the old Bears uh, restaurant in Uptown Ankeny. And Dennis Gibson keeping the doors open uh, for the folks in Ankeny with uh, pizza, takeout pizza. And we're going to get Dennis on when football season gets here. And we're going to talk actual football with Dennis Absolutely. next time. Hey, I had, uh, I had a guy that uh, was listening to us yesterday, a friend of mine, Leon Emmons, who mm-hmm. owns Mr executive uh he t- texted me last night uh he heard us talking about the front row that yes. it was steak like steak night last night he absolutely devoured it he said he stopped by grabbed it he was very impressed with the place from what he could see mm-hmm. um and uh he had the steak and at the front row and they're doing it thursdays and saturdays but uh yeah two enthusiastic thumbs up from our buddy leon brian downs if you're listening you passed the emmons test <laughs> it could be a tough one right there yeah we talk about the front row and have you been to the new location no, I've not been in the... I mean, I know where it is. Yeah. It's right across from Willis Auto Campus, but a lot bigger than where they had in Windsor Heights. And uh, the old place was a hole in the wall. I mean, it was... Yeah, but it had character. It, there was character. This is nice. Yeah. It's, it's sharp I inside of there. The woodwork is unbelievably... Clay's done a really good job with that, him and Brian, at the front row. It's an awesome place. And even if you're not a Hawkeye fan, you'll go in there, get a cold one, and uh, great TVs, great sports bar overall with all the Hawkeye memorabilia all over the world. Love it, love it, love it. So we had uh, you, you had uh, Down Under on, Down yeah. Under Bar. Now, they mentioned that they're a curling bar. <laughs> now, is, I mean, it got my attention. I love curling. Yes. Yeah, I they, can watch curling. I miss curling. They have it on all the... If there now, is where do they on. get it from? Well, NBC Sports Network has it quite a bit, okay, especially... Yeah when they don't have hockey on right that's kind of one of the other things is they have a lot of winter olympic sports with nbc and the yeah. olympics that they have so it'll be on there they'll find it on some random that's channels awesome. but and then uh the guys up there hey i got i got a candidate on this one we'll, we'll lay uh <laughs> nice one of those things called a stone and a half yeah <laughs> That's where they are, stone yeah, and a half. Yeah, there yeah. it is. There's, a rock there's a and a half. Rock and a half, yes. Absolutely. Sports Page Bar and Grill, uh, Sports Page Bar and Grill in Pella. Uh, they joined the program. Pepper Jacks, they were part of it. Uh, they've got their location in Clive, uh, building some good sandwiches over there at Pepper Jacks. And then Annie Baldwin was back with us, Trent. Mm-hmm. What a story. They've already donated 20,000 meals to the Food Bank of Iowa. Of course, Michelle Book, the CEO of the Food Bank of Iowa, was part of the program early in the week as well. And they served certainly need their help, and we promise that we will do our best to sh- uh, spread the news uh, at the uh, Food Bank of Iowa. In fact, Michelle Book's going to come on with this, I think, weekly as we yeah. get through this. And, and a chance, we've talked about the volunteer opportunities that are out there. That's a huge part of that, too. And for people, you're not working right now, you're working less, and, and you have a little bit more free time. 
certainly reach out and see what you can do to help out Michelle and everybody at the Food Bank of Iowa, helping out our community in a big way. Absolutely. We'd love to help you spread the news about your restaurant. Our final couple of minutes here of the program on a Friday. Uh, small businesses or restaurants, if you would like to participate in this, we do it Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, from 1020 until 11 o'clock. Uh, those mornings, we try and get on as many as we can. That number's usually 10, 12, 14, somewhere in that uh, vicinity. Uh, and then we recap who we had on on Friday. So you get a couple of hits with us. There's no charge for this whatsoever. No charge, no catch. Uh, you just give us your, uh, just reach out to me, Ken Miller Show at gmail.com, Ken Miller Show at gmail.com, or find Trent on Facebook. Most of the restaurants are on Facebook. Trent Condon on Facebook. Reach out to us that way. We will schedule you for Tuesday and Thursday. Give you two, three, four minutes uh, to essentially an infomercial about your, what you're doing with your restaurant or small business. There is no charge. It's all brought to us by our friends at NC MIC. Try that again. NCMIC. Nick Mick makes it possible, and we're grateful for them for doing it. Restaurant Radio. Uh, come on aboard. No charge. Ken Miller Show at gmail.com. Find Trent Condon on Facebook. So what are you doing for your birthday weekend? Really have nothing. Perfect. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big one. It's, it's, it is. It's yes. my 40th. I know it. I initially... You Will know, there be a lordy to lordy Trent is 40 no, somewhere? I hope not. I hope not, too, no, for your no, sake. No, I, I don't want any of that. <laughs> right. I want to be in Vegas or something like that. You Wouldn't know? that be special? Well, actually, more than anything, for years I always planned on this was going to be It's Also Masters Weekend. Ah, of course. And been in the drawing every year. I've never gotten tickets, but... Oh, you do enter every year, yeah, do you? Yeah, enter every year. One of my buddies has, has won before, but... Tried, didn't go, looked at tickets this winter. It is incredibly pricey to make that happen. So, yeah, just, uh, I guess, going to be chilling at home. No party. Not a whole lot going on. Just... But well, I become a man. I'll be like Gundy says. I'm a man. <laughs> yes, I'm 40. Indeed. Well, if you want to uh, wish Trent a happy birthday, you can do so over Twitter. We are out of time. Uh, what and we and the big news, Luca Garza today, as we talked about yep. earlier in the program, yep, testing the process. They just finished up the teleconference that started at 1130 with him. So a lot more on that coming up with Murph and Andy starting things off at 2 o'clock here today. Indeed. We will be back on Monday. Miller and Condon, Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four. Monday morning starts with the morning rush at 6. Thanks for being here. We're Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.